Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Who says there's no message to rock and roll? What? <laughs> who says there's no message to rock and roll? What is, it, what is that from? Shake your ass for me. Start the show, would you please? <laughs> Start the show, damn it. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled somewhere, God only knows where, in our secret bunker in the Los Angeles area. I seem to find it every week. That's amazing. Yeah. You got you got GPS and everything. No, but everything else in my life is a secret. Uh, yeah. You know, to try walking around my house. That that's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Got a perfect memory for a man in show business. I have no memory left. <laughs> Who? What? Ian Hunter's coming to town. I'll see if I can get him to come out here and punch you. No, no, I punched him. I know. We could reverse. No, and no, that's just. Meanwhile. The following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. And what a network it is. I am the legendary Burl Bear, true crime uncensored. Man over there, Howard Lapidus. Yes, I am. Manager to the star. That too. Mark C.G. Boyer is our fact checker. Hello. And a man who knows more about cocaine than most of my friends. I hope you're referring to our guest in Mark's, not Mark C.G. Boyer. It sounded like, but that's the way. It, well, that's what you call a dangling participle. It, it, it didn't even dangle. No. Can I uh, borrow your spoon, Howard? <laughs> you need a Polish Coke fork. I don't touch that stuff. And no. that's the time I'm dead serious. Not since that night with China. That, that night with China was quite interesting. I bet it was. There was no cocaine involved on my part. No. A tunnel to Neverland. <laughs> no, you can drive a truck through there. <laughs> yeah. Help me find my keys and we'll drive out. Ron Chepsick. Ron, Ron, Ron. Oh, Ron. Ron is so into the cartels that he married a Colombian. Ron, are you there? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, oh, he's just God. listening. The legendary Burl Bear? Yeah, it's me. I was, I was tongue-tied there for a second. I bet you were. But, but you don't want to refer to me. That's fine, Ron. I won't, I won't refer That's to Howard. you. That's Howard. Howard Lapidus. You're sidekick. He knows you that. Know. And no, I'm not the sidekick. I'm the age here. It's my show, you're, not Burroughs. You're the Gabby Hayes. <laughs> by the way. Gabby, for sure. By the way, great reference. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because <laughs> he's right. Yeah, it could be Fuzzy Knight. For all no, no. Yeah. The Gabby Hayes reference 90% of your listeners don't know who Gabby Hayes is. Uh, 99% of our listeners don't know that. But you know what? I was impressed with the reference. Very good. His real name was George. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen. So, Ron, how, so how's the cocaine? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I only tried it once in 1978, and I decided it was a loser drug and never tried it again. I tried it once in uh, 1980, and it yeah. was so damn good. I said, I can't have any more of this ever because it will break right? me. It will hurt me. It will ultimately kill me. And by the way, that's what it does. Well, you know, everybody was trying it at that period. That's when the cocaine trade came in. The Colombian cartel started to rise, you know, in power because of the uh, demand for uh, for coke. But uh, I decided that uh, it was a low energy uh, drug. If you have energy, you have ambition. You don't need the you don't need the shit. But if you were you know low energy, it, you know, you didn't have much ambition in life, then cocaine would make you feel a lot better. And, uh, uh, and uh, no, I, I mean, uh, look, that's a nice theory, Ron, and I know this is your life's work, but... <laughs> you think it's my life's work? 
<laughs> well, it's 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 up there. And seriously, you've 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 dedicated a great deal of your life to the uh, uh, yeah, writing wise. I mean, yeah, yes. journalism wise. No, that's no, no, that's no, what no. we're talking that's about. That's what we're talking about. I'm not talking about that's what you you sell it and yeah. use it and distribute it. No, no, no. You write not about anymore, it. No. Okay, so don't misunderstand me. But here's the thing: anybody with ambition that takes cocaine. They feel better, too. But the problem is, is the cocaine starts to own, I don't care whether they have ambition or not, or whatever it is, the, the drug becomes the master. And it's, it, and I'm not wrong. You know that. No. No. It didn't become master of me. I, I laughed. No, you had it once. and then You had it. In the West Indies, this guy, he was one of those early coke heads, and he would say, oh, you got to try this, you know, and he kept bugging me, bugging me. Finally, I did, and I laughed. I laughed at him. You know, I said, God, I said, you really need this This shit. It had absolutely no effect on me. I said, I got a little rush, but I had the same rush from Benny's when I was in college. You know, and I, and I would stay up a little bit late. I tried that. And I a little that. bit late, huh? I tried it. I said, it's no different than, than that speed I used to take in college in the late 60s. Yeah. Well, by the way, that's that, that, studying that, for tests. And that was no good for you, and you know that. No, no, of course not. A, a woman, uh, one of our students died. Uh, she was actually taking it for diet. Uh, and, uh, that, well, that happened to a lot of people. That, yeah, the biggest pusher of that was uh, Reader's Digest did an article on the research that was done on uh, amphetamines. And the uh, what they did is they took a giant bowl and, and filled it full of amphetamines and put it in like a frat house or something. And yeah. the students could take it as often as they wanted. And then they tracked yeah. to see if there was problems developed. Well, for some bizarre reason... No problems developed, and so <laughs> they, they they did this whole big thing about it, it was safe as milk. Mother's little helper. Safe, seriously, this, this is a true safe, story. Well, you, you know the biggest amphetamine uh, dealer in history, do you? Uh, my doctor, no. no. Adolf Hitler. Oh uh, yeah, the other one <laughs> was. Amphetamine uh, made the made the uh, German army run. <laughs> can you? Uh, by the way, this is uh, and uh, there's some things that I just don't know, and I don't know about that. Can you fill me in? Uh, just. They use speed to keep their soldiers going, like you know, going uh, like Superman. Uh, you know, this blitzkrieg thing that they were doing, you know, required intensity, required uh, you know, soldiers stay up um, uh, long hours and all that. And uh, you know, he he uh, used speed, you know, to keep to keep his keep his army running. And of course, it, it was nothing new for Hitler. Hitler was a drug addict too. I mean, his doctor. You know, kept him uh, jacked up. With what? Time. He made some of the worst decisions of all time, uh, military strategy-wise, when he was when he was drugged up. You know. What was his drug of choice? Uh, I don't. He tried. He filled it with all kinds of uh, crap. I don't know uh, what 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 the exact drugs were, but. Uh, he kept them going. Well, same thing with Jim Jones, famous in uh, Guyana. Uh, oh, yeah. His theory was, if I just didn't have to sleep, I could get so much more done. Yeah. And so he figured out he didn't have to sleep if he shot speed and, and went well, nuts. But what he did, what he, did, he realized is, you know, in maybe less than a year, I'll be sleeping for the rest of time. So yeah. I don't need to sleep now. And he got yeah. appropriately paranoid. Yeah. That that's does exactly happen. what happens. You get paranoid. You, you know, anybody that's been up for a while, you, you start to do strange things. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I used to I used to do all night study sessions in college, and that wasn't very good because you start to you know you start to get, start to me, do all kinds. Hey, of Ron, yeah, you, you take no dose. You see dogs on the highway that aren't there. <laughs> yeah, Ron, what, what was your uh, what was your major? My major was um, history and political science. 
Where'd you, where'd you go to school? I went to school at uh, University of Minnesota in Moorhead, mm -hmm. Minnesota. And uh, well, I was that's my undergraduate, and I went to uh, I got a master's in, in library science in Atlanta, and I got a, 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 a diploma in. Um, Archival administration, which is equivalent of a master's from National University of Ireland. This uh, thing about, about the library science, what is that? Basically, a, a, a deep dive into the Dewey Decimal System. No, it's at the Library of Congress. <laughs> Dewey Decimal is used by small libraries. I don't. I, 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 I was. I don't know if still use it anymore. I was being funny. But, uh, they don't need to use it anymore. That I was, mean, that was uh, being funny. Yeah, I wasn't being funny. Let me put it to you that way. It was trying to be. I funny. was trying to be funny. I was not funny. You didn't find it funny. And by the way, Ron, I'm not finding you funny at all. <laughs> I'm finding you both hysterical. Meanwhile, uh, the Cali Cartel. Uh, you have a book on the rise and fall. Well, how far can it fall if there's still plenty of coke around? Or at least a lot of benzocaine well, pretending history, to be coke. It's around. history of the war on drugs, right? Yeah. You get rid of one kingpin, another one comes along. Well, and, that's uh, great for if you want an opportunity to be a know, kingpin. You get rid of uh, Al Chapo Guzman, who's now languishing in a U.S. prison. And uh, the drug trade doesn't miss a beat. Of course not. Languishing, by the way. That's a great, great choice yeah. of a word. Yeah. Not relaxing. Languish. <laughs> languishing. Because, they, no, he is languishing. I like the guy that escaped. I, I languish when I go home. I've I mentioned that already today. Did, do you do English language? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I, sp I, I spoke Latin in high school. Yeah, pig Latin. No. I'm sure the audience is thrilled to know that you they could care Latin. less. That I did four years of, uh, of Latin. Yes, he pluribus. Ubias Gallia, Gallia Seek. Gallius, Gallius, Gallium. Sent to my Latin. Okay. Um, we'll Mark C.G. Right Boyer, who doesn't speak Howard Latin, has a question. What's the question, Mark? Um, question mark. Oh. Who's this guy? Yeah, I'm it's the, our uh, fact I'm checker. The in the corner that tries to get in a word yeah, in He's a sober guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ron. Uh, why two covers? Well, what? because they're two different uh, books. One's Italian. One's uh, uh, actually three. One one U.S. Uh, edition. One one was picked up by uh, 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 Irish uh, British publisher Maverick House, and then the Italian ah. was picked up by another uh, publisher in uh, Italy. So That's a good place. Hey, hey, Ron, hang on, hang on one second, uh, uh, Mark. Here you got a shot to ask. Ron, anything, okay? Yes. This is a guy that has studied the cartels up one street and down the next. Yeah, well, we can hear about He's it. He's written about it, and you ask him about He's his cup He's written about it a hundred times. I know that, and you oh, asking boy. him about his book covers? Yes. What kind I of a show is this? If I'm a listener and somebody's asking the guest about the book cover, I'm tuning out. No, don't do that, no. folks. Don't tune out. No, no, it'll get better. <laughs> really, it will. They, they have well, no idea what I'm going to do, so they stay. The covers are cool. The covers are cool. Yes, they are, but it's not. It's not. It's not fodder for taking up a minute of time. On okay, neither is this. Wyatt Howard. And, yeah. And how many? How many uh, journalists can say they've been interviewed by Ital Italy Rolling Stone? Not too many. By the way, six is the number. You know, Rolling Stones is thriving in Italy. Is that right? It's the only yeah. place. How many rock bands have they got in Italy? Mark, uh, uh, Mark, Mark, I, I don't know. Brother Marty could probably join one of them. Yeah. That's what scares me. Yeah. Me too. So how do you research a book like this without getting shot? Well. Or incredibly high. Yeah. Or both. Well, it's, it started, uh, actually, I've been de uh, researching um, this subject um, off and on for 
you know, I've done other stuff too. I've you know published forty books and about four thousand articles. You know, you're a show up front. Yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I, I got to have a fault, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that you know, was very good. Yes. Nobody's perfect. I mean, uh, but uh, no, the thing is, in 1987, I, I got on a plane. Um, I went to Colombia. Uh, Avianca was the airline. They thought they still could have a tourist trade, believe it or not, and that's when Escobar was running wild. And um, I got uh, bumped off the plane on the way back and had a, a, a short one-hour blind date with a woman who became my wife. And uh, eventually, uh, it took about three years, but that started my interest because I would go back to Colombia, and of course it was probably the most interesting time in the whole history of the war on drugs. Escobar was escalating the, the narco-terrorism campaign that he was uh, uh, implementing, and uh, the Colombian and, um, and U.S. Uh, uh, governments are trying to take him down. And uh, it was just a crazy, crazy, crazy time. I heard a bomb go off, you know, downtown Bogota. Uh, one of my, um, my sister-in-law, one of her uh, boyfriends got killed outside of a bank. It was really wild. I couldn't go 10 miles outside the city in Bogota at that time because the guerrillas are running wild. That was the other problem they had. You know, you had the guerrillas and you had the, uh, and the drug traffickers. So it was just, it was, uh, it was like uh, uh, Iraq before Iraq. So uh, you, you ended up... When you, I saw you, Iraq break you, out, it reminded me a lot. You ended of, up... You know, you ended reminded me of Escobar, you know, the way he was running around. And, uh, you know, thousands of people got killed. And, uh, and uh, it, you know, it took an uh, incredible amount of effort to bring him down. And, and, and finally they isolated him on a, on a rooftop in uh, Medellin in, on December 2nd, uh, 1993, and uh, killed him. And uh, that didn't change anything because by that time uh, the Cali cartel were way in command of the drug trade. They controlled about 90% of it. And they had for like seven or eight years, and um, their style was low key. So they, you know, they, you know, they uh, knew that the writing would be on the wall because the way the drug war works is uh, you need money for budgets, you need attention to show like you're doing something. So you go after the biggest, baddest drug dealer there is, and in this case, it was the Cali cartel um, uh, drug lords. And so when, once Escobar was down, their number was up, and they went down. In 1995-96, uh, uh, they weren't extradited until 2006, and then you know they claim victory again. But now the, the drug war shifted to the Mexican border because the Colombians got really smart. They said, "Look, you know we don't want to be big like the Medellin and the Cali cartels, but all that does is attract attention and uh, incredible amount of resources by the Colombian and the U.S. governments. So we'll be cartelitos, small car cartels." And what they did was they got together for specific deals. You know, rather than have an ongoing operation, they would, they would join together. Uh, you know, you might have one person that went and got the, got the, uh, the cocaine, uh, you know, uh, from the fields, uh, from the, uh, from the uh, coca crop. Uh, you had uh, distributors, you had money launders, and they get together, and they let the Mexicans handle the, um, uh, the um, distribution. So the Mexicans became the power in the, uh, in the drug war. And uh, instead of having the, the uh, drug war be fought in some faraway la uh, Latin country, it was fought right on the border. So that's the, you know, the, uh, the result <laughs> of uh, this whole policy. So the only thing that changes is who's making the money. Pardon? The only thing that changes in the drug war is who's making the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as long as you have, as long as you have people wanting it, 
they're going to have people willing to supply it. I mean, that's, you know, it's supply and demand. And you don't have uh, supply unless you have demand, you know. I mean, no one's going to sell craft dinner unless somebody wants it, you know. And it's the same thing with drugs. And, uh, and, uh, and cool. so most of the effort's been put on trying to stop it. And it's, it's like, you know, the, the uh, definition of insanity. What's insanity? You know, keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And that's what's happened. We had a little a bit of, um, of uh, daylight and a little bit of uh, semblance of sanity when um, Obama administration started changing the drug laws, you know, and, and we've seen the states legalizing it. And you've got this, uh, uh, this uh, Neanderthal, Jeff Sessions, uh, mm-hmm. who wants to set the clock back, you know, back to, back to J. Edgar Hoover in terms of uh, uh, the drug laws. And uh, so right now it's, you know, it's in limbo. We don't know what's going to happen, but uh, it's definitely, you know, our society is definitely a loser in this war on drugs. So uh, let, me, uh, let me back you up a little bit. So you're down there in Bogota, and you met the person that would become your wife. Yeah. How did you guys get out of there? With the way things were, you couldn't you couldn't go ten well, miles outside the city. You know the the funny thing about it is, um, um, yeah, I, I reported like in thirty five countries. You know, I've been kicked out of Cuba. I, I was in. Yeah, Northern but who Ireland hasn't who, who hasn't done that? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, everybody gets kicked out of Cuba. Right. And uh, I was in Northern Ireland when Bobby Sands uh, uh, committed suicide, and uh, it was really really tense back in the early nineteen eighties. Right. And I was in Nicaragua during the Contras and all that. And you know what? Most people, it, it's very normal. You know, it looks it looks uh, crazy from afar. You know, because that's what the the media concentrates on. You, you know, if if people are getting along, they're not going to report the news, right? If people are just having a great time in Colombia, but if 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 violence breaks out and there's some you know some incredible atrocities and all that, that gets reported. So it looks like it looks like a lot more dangerous and a lot more crazy than than it actually is so you were in the in the belly of the beast but there was really no beast for you to see is that what you're saying well yeah you know if you stay out of certain areas uh you know uh you have to be very very careful uh, because uh you know they would kidnap you for 25 dollars and so when i was there i would visit until we got married you know i would visit her and uh, they would not let me go out by myself because uh for example, uh, who's the who's the they? You could go to Family. a bar. You could go to a bar, and they could put something in your drink, which turns you into a zombie. Which happened to one of my one of my brother-in-laws. Uh, uh, he was walking down the street, and uh, a pretty girl uh, smiled at him, and he turned around, looked at her, and um, and uh, that's the last thing he remembered. You know, he woke up with all his clothes off and everything, all his money and everything, in a, in a hotel room. Again, and, who um, who hasn't done so that? So you, you have to be very, very careful. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, and and Colombia was just you know incredibly violent, uh, but it, it's one of the big success stories. People don't know this, but now it's uh, now Medellin, which was the capital of the cocaine trade, every really famous because of Escobar, is one of the is chosen by ARP is one of the top places for American retirees to go. Seriously, in, uh, in yeah. Medellin, you oh, know, then I'm going to uh, go. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, and you know, in Colombia now, you could travel anywhere. You know, if I, you know, when I go back there, I can go anywhere now. Uh, but in the old days, I couldn't go out ten miles outside the city. Um, in fact, we were stopped by guerrillas once, and I thought I was going to be kidnapped. We had we were on a bus. Uh, I was with a couple of my relatives, and uh, they told us to get off the bus. And uh, I don't know if they they must have known I was a gringo, but, but I didn't say anything. But they, they lined us up against the against the bus, and then. 
just checked us, and they, you know they didn't really do anything else, and they put us back on the bus, and away we went. But it was you know it was kind of a scary moment because I thought, oh, maybe I was going to be. Is that is that the only time you ever felt that you were going to meet your maker? Um, I don't think he wants to meet me. <laughs> well, I I agree with you, but but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, God, you, you imagine meeting me? I mean, uh, That's a scary I think thought. doing everything to to, to uh, prevent that day from arriving. Uh, no, not really. I don't I don't think uh, I had a gun pulled on me once in Northern Ireland, but it uh, it wasn't really directly pointed at me. It was just a guy asking me a bunch of questions. Unfortunately, I gave him the gave him the right answers. But, well, let's uh, let's drill down on, on that for a second. What was he asking you? Well, he was asking me. Uh, he was a ultra volunteer force UVF, which was uh, the Protestant extremists, and uh, I was asking him questions about. Uh, this is like mid '80s in my early uh, journalism days, and I was asking him some questions about their relationship to something that happened or something, and. He started off very nice, and uh, you know it was was very. Then he started to get uh, agitated because he didn't like the way the questioning was going, and so I don't know what he, he just pulled the gun out and uh, you know started asking me some questions about who I was and all that sort of stuff. Why I want to know that, and then um, then, it, then he stopped. I mean, he just you know, and he smiled and. And we, I asked him a couple more questions and decided that it was best I didn't ask him anymore. <laughs> Don't ask anymore. Yeah. I, had a, I had a guy show me a bullet with my name on it yeah. once, so I yeah. figured I was on the right uh, track. <laughs> yeah, do you know who Jerry Adams is? No. Yeah, well, you know, he's a really famous uh, Northern Ireland um, um, IRA. Uh, he, well, he was with the Provost, the political wing of the IRA, and I, I interviewed him. And uh, I was sitting there with him, and... Um, I asked him about this shipment of, of guns from Libya. At that time, Gaddafi was supplying the IRA with guns. And for some reason, it was a really simple question, and he sort of stumbled. And, you know, because he was really a smooth, you know, smooth guy, and you know, he knew how to answer questions. And then he stopped, and he looked at me. And uh, I knew this guy had killed him, you know, in the name of his cause. I mean, because the look in his eyes is just murderous. And he didn't say anything, and I didn't say anything, because I knew what he meant. You know, don't ask him any more questions. He said, thank you so much for the interview, sir. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh. Yeah, well, there's, there's the expression we have in the true crime field. When they threaten your life, you know you're on the right Well, how about path. you? Have you been threatened? Yeah. But uh, uh, that, that comes with the territory, if you're going to write true crime. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't yeah. write true crime, and I've been threatened. Well, but right. who you can blame them? Crime, there's there's an element <laughs> of risk there. You, you try to minimize it, but, you know, there's always a, you know, everybody that's written enough true crime probably has, you know, stories to tell. Yeah, but it always takes another dimension when it's a cop who's threatening you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Does, but, does, you know, I, the thing about uh, um, my research in Colombia, I got to meet some really inter interesting people. I, you know, I interviewed uh, three presidents of Colombia, and I interviewed Sam Pere, who's like, uh, called the Richard Nixon of uh, <laughs> Colombian politics, because that's how the whole downfall of the Cali Cartel started, because... There, there was a campaign contribution of $6 million, which was uncovered, and uh, that led to, uh, you know, charges of corruption against him. And uh, ironically, he had to prove that he wasn't corrupt, so he became tougher on the Cali cartel than he normally would have been, than a uh, president of Colombia normally would have been. Did he say, so I am, I am I'm not a crook? I'm not a crook. Yeah, and ironically, he played a big part in the takedown of the Cali cartel, but I interviewed him. And, what? Uh, uh, how, how long? How did that go? Let's talk about that because this guy well, sounds. Well, 
the, the thing is, I interviewed him um, three times. I interviewed him um, once when he was president. I interviewed him a couple of times outside of when, when he when he uh, when Pastrana took over. Andres Pastrana was his successor, who I also interviewed. But we were sitting in um, this area called Takadama, and he was like, I forget the floor, but 15th or 16th floor, and I was interviewing him. And I had my, and he was looking out towards the window, uh, these really big windows, and uh, all of a sudden, I asked him a question, and he was answering, and uh, <clears throat> he looked up, and his, his face went white, all the color drained out of his face. And I looked behind me, here's this guy coming up on this scaffold, you know, and he's about 19 years old, <laughs> he's wearing a black leather jacket, he's got a, a killer smile on his, on his face, and the first thing, of course, I thought exactly what uh, Ernesto thought, uh, a Sicario, you know, he's coming, he's going to kill him and probably kill me too, and I took a quick look to see if he had any guns, uh, any, any machine gun, you know, a Mac gun or something like that, something, and I didn't see anything, and the guy was going up the scaffold, and he waved to us. <laughs> like, goodbye. You know? <laughs> and I, I, look, I looked at it, and I, my, the color of my face must have drained, too. You know, uh, and uh, I looked, and the guy just kept going up. He just kept going up. And I looked at uh, Samper, and he was pissed off. And he grabbed his phone, and he started yelling at these people, like, what the hell's going on, you know? Uh, you know, this, this guy, this guy is coming up the scaffold. You know, where's security and all this sort of crap? <laughs> it was really funny. I mean, afterwards, you know, it wasn't funny what was happening. But. Did his guys uh, uh, get this guy? Pardon me? Was he uh, taking? No, he was just a normal, normal guy. No, like I understand that, but but he's but he's, know, he's, but he's, he's on the scaffold. He was no, waving to us. You know, I get it. He's a, a, he was probably high and he was a moron. But did they capture yeah. him? Yeah, he may, he might not even recognize uh, Sam Pear, you know, because he was a uh, you know young young guy. And, right. You know, and, but yeah, he, he had no idea how deep <laughs> he was. Yeah. Into, yeah. You know, I mean, God, if Sam Pear, uh, you know, had maybe bodyguards, then he might have shot him. <laughs> you know, but he didn't have anybody in the uh, you know in the office with him. You know, yes, he, he had a couple well, of bodyguards. Well, when he was yelling, who was he yelling to on the phone, and what was he saying? Well, you're just saying, uh, you know, what the hell is going on? Why is this guy, you know, going up the up, up the uh, the wall? You know, who is he? You know, why is he doing that? He wasn't supposed to do that. You know. No, I, I, I get that. So did the person on the other end of the phone do anything about it? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what he did. He just he hung up the phone, and it took about I don't know, about three minutes or so for him to, to, to get the whole scene going. And uh, he said, "Okay, where were we? We went on on that." And then uh, the other guy, I interviewed uh, Valvieso. Uh, he was Alfonso Valvieso. He, he um, led the corruption campaign against the cartels, and everybody said he was a dead man walking. He was like five foot two, really like self, um, uh, just self-effacing, very quiet. I mean, the most un unlikely hero you'd ever see. And I managed to get an interview with him, so I show up at his apartment and. Um, there's, 20, there's at least two dozen bodyguards, two, two dozen bodyguards protecting him. And um, I look around, you know, I'm, I'm walking through there, and I look around, and there's nobody else. It's eerily quiet, you know. And so when we got into the interview, we started talking. And, I mean, I asked him, I said, uh, aren't, aren't there any ten tenants in this building? He said, no. He said, well, he had to rent the whole, 
the whole apartment, or the government did, the whole apartment complex, because nobody would live with them. Nobody would live in the same apartment building. If I thought it'd be blown up. thought it was too dangerous. But that's the kind of life that guy was leading, and, uh, you know, he's still alive today, but he did a you know, great job being in the campaign. He got a lot of politicians implicated. You know, uh, and the government was totally corrupt in a lot of ways. It was just unbelievable, uh, you know, how, how many politicians were paid off. But uh, he was an honest guy, and, uh, you know, he's still alive today. Hmm. Still with the bodyguards? I doubt it. I, I, it's, everything is so normal now in, in Colombia. It's it's boring there now. <laughs> well, I mean, don't don't they still have the drug trade going no, on in there like somewhere? It's like going to Grand Forks, South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just. Aren't you, aren't you being, Aaron? Aren't you being a little naive? <laughs> I mean, it must still be going on I'm there. Being, I, I'm being a little, a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, what do you call it? Sarc- sarcastic. You're being sarcastic, because, right? Yeah, it never. It, you know, it, it never gets. Uh, it never. But it is. It is, as far as what it was, like Grand Forks today. I mean, I mean, it, you know, it was so violent and so uh, uh, unnerving when you, when you were in Colombia that, uh, and it's so different today. You know, it's so relaxed. And uh, you know it's uh, it's boring in a lot of ways. How you often? How often do you get down? Well, you could go to clubs, you know, and and there's not really, you know, you don't. The level of violence has has, has gone down. And like I said, Medellin is is number one. A lot of re, uh, retirement lists is the best place for American to re, uh, American uh, retiree to go. Do, do you get Do you get down to Bogota often? Uh, yeah, I get well. I go a couple times a year because you know I got family there, and uh, and I don't want to get into this, but my wife's got some health issues, and so she's down there because the uh, the uh, right now because the Colombian medical system is better than the uh, U.S. system. Whoa, really? And um, and uh, they got you know uh, really good doctors there, and um, and uh, they and we're on a health plan there too as well, and it's much better than anything. Well, not to get into what that's all about, but uh, our best wishes. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's uh, interesting. But, but I, find, I find it interesting, Burl. And so, uh, sorry, yeah. I, I, I cut you off. We, we may be going to the same place, but how much different and better the healthcare system is in Colombia that Ron, who's, you know, that you do fine uh, in the United States, it's better that your wife goes there. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, well it's, number one, it's uh, it's cheaper, and their doctors are just as good. And they pay you more attention. The doctors here are like an assembly line. You, know, you go in there and they get they spend about 10, 15 minutes with you yeah. and move you on because that's how they get paid. And in Colombia, you know, they spend much more time with you. And it, it and they're just as good trained wise. Uh, if you're going to get your eyes, if you wanted to do something with your eyes, you know, to correct your vision, that that's the place to go. They have the best uh, eye doctors in the world. Really? You know, a lot of Americans go there because of it. And you heard of Thailand too. A lot of people go to Thailand. You know, uh, you know, uh, medical tourism is what they call it, right? Where yeah, you, I go. You, I go to Thailand for the buffet. For the buffet. Yeah. <laughs> you like Thai food, right? It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the true place. crime investigator front, I'm. Uh, don't use this technique. I just happened to think of this. I wanted to get in to see a guy one time that you couldn't get in to see. And he had you bodyguards. Mean, a guy that you want to write about? Yeah, there was. Uh, and he had bodyguards. He had okay. bodyguards on the door, right? No one, no one gets in. I put on a, a three-piece suit, and for cognitive dissonance, I took a piece of red rope licorice and put it between my teeth, 
and walked up to the door as if I owned the place. And I can hear the two guys talking to each other. They see me coming. One says, Nakarika. He says, no, no, it's Nakarika. And I, I didn't even look at him. And when I got to the door, they opened it for me. <laughs> Yeah, but it cost you a piece of licorice. It cost, but no, I got to keep the licorice and uh, got everything I needed. I mean, it's just so sometimes so it's... Can uh, I ask you who that was? No. No? Okay. They thought you were crazy. Well, they thought oh, I was crazy or they thought I must have some damn good reason to not give a damn about them. Let's go to yeah. Aaron. <laughs> I'm crazy when it comes to Burl. <laughs> yeah, I am. That's, that's an easy diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. That's how true. You, how do you guys uh, put up with each other? <laughs> I'm well, easy to get along here, with, really. Here's, here's the deal. We have the number one true crime show. Except for his baby. I'm sorry to say. Number one <laughs> well, you're, true... not a, you're not a crime show. That's how you, you get off. It's a true crime show. <laughs> you're a comedy no. show well, that, that, that uh, masquerades as a crime show. We make it. We make, we I'm try... a crime show that wants to be a comedy show, but I can't. See? <laughs> See, there you go. That's why, by the way, Ron, that's why we're number one. So, so we both got our niches. Oh, we have a niche, but ours is yeah, the number the one niche. Comedy show that wants to be a crime That's show, right. You got it. That wants to be a comedy show, right? The truth is, is we've gotten more out of you than most people do, and we're only halfway through, and you don't, and you didn't realize. It well, don't ask me for cocaine. I don't have any. I, I wasn't going to do that because I, I, I know better. Now, I want to know how you got such detailed information on the structure of the Cali cartel because you've got it down. I mean, you've got charts and graphs and. You know, all that well, stuff. I, I had good sources. I mean, um, I spent a lot of time on more time. That you, you know yourself, bro, that uh, a lot of books you work on, it's like by the time you get through with the research, uh, you know, the book is, is well-written, well-researched, everything, but it's like minimum wage, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, by the time, yeah. Yeah, I did this, like I said, over several years, and um, I, I got, I interviewed over 125 people for the book, which is, you know, pretty good, pretty good number, and um Every aspect of it, I, I eventually found somebody that could talk about it, and they always had records, you know, with uh, with information. They had photographs and all that sort of stuff. So um, I, I was quite fortunate, you know. Everybody wanted to talk about it because they all, all of them all thought that the Cali story was actually bigger than the Escobar story. But Escobar got all the attention because of his, you know, his style, you know, his violent. Uh, you know, uh, chaotic. Yeah, because you don't want to be violent and chaotic. If you're smart, you want to stay under the radar. Hey, well, that's exactly what the Cali Cartel did. You know that they operated like a business. You know, they had a they had a board of directors. There was four of them: uh, the two brothers, Gilberto and Miguel Rodriguez Orwella, and they had Pacho um, Herrera, who they brought in later, but uh, Chepi Santa Cruz, and uh, they operated. They got along together. Uh, they expected their employees to be employees, like in a company. You know. How many? Um, how many guys actually? If you look at it as a company, how many guys owned that cartel? Well, there were there were four major four major uh, four major uh, partners that operated, um, you know, as, as part of the cartel. I, I, I just put their names: Alberto and Miguel Rodriguez Arguella were the brothers, and then uh, Chepe, He was a boyhood friend. Santa Cruz, Chepe Santa Cruz. His first name was Jose uh, Landonio uh, Santa Cruz, and then. Um, the uh, fourth member was uh, Almer Apacho Herrera. And what happened to those guys? Well, you know, you're, you know yourself, uh, bro, that uh, very few people make it out of the drug trade, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, with their money, let alone their lives. And, and in this case, um, Chepi Santa Cruz was killed in the, in the mid-'90s um, by the, by the uh, authorities. Um, 
Actually, it wasn't the authorities. It was uh, a rival gang that captured him. They tortured him and killed him. Ouch. Uh, Almer, uh, Herrera, Pacho Herrera, was uh, killed in prison in, uh, a, a little bit later. And then um, the two brothers were uh, extradited to the U.S. <laughs> in the mid-2000s. Mid, uh, and uh, they're now serving in prison. Ironically, one brother's in South Carolina prison, which is right down the road. <laughs> Go visit him. Brother, and the other brother is in a North Carolina prison. And uh, I've never, you know, they've never talked. There's been absolutely nothing uh, come out about how they're doing or, you know, or what they're doing or, or you know, whatever is happening. Uh, I'm amazed that Hilberto's still alive because he's, he's in his late 70s and he had really serious health problems when he went into prison. You know, he had all kinds of, uh, you know, blood pressure and, and uh, I think he had diabetes. And, um, what, what, and uh, uh, all kinds oh. of problems, but he's still alive because uh, I checked the... Um, I Death registry. The yeah. register to see what was what was going on, and I looked off some information. In fact, I'm thinking about uh, writing a letter to the uh, to the uh, prison. I don't know what the policy is under the under the Trump administration about access to prisoners. Uh, Obama wasn't too friendly his his his, uh, his administration, but who knows? You know, all, all it takes is a letter, right? Well, I'll tell you, in Texas, uh, this is uh, ran into this one. If you are, if you're just, if you're just a blogger, right? You're not really right. a hardcore journalist, just writing a blog. You can get in and interview somebody. If you're an author doing a book, no. How do they? How do they figure that? Uh, because you can't. Uh, Put a letterhead on your uh, that says uh, who you are. I guess it is the strangest thing. <laughs> so bro, thing. so bro, so you just say you're a blogger and go in there and get you what you want to know. Yeah, uh, or I in my situation, I went in simply as a visitor to interview the person. You I went in with the licorice. Again. Yeah, we went with the licorice well, again. Yeah, well, that works. Know, Red rope licorice will get you anywhere. That cementos. You're, <laughs> you're talking about the state system, right? Yeah. Because the federal is different. You know, the federal is uniform, like they have a policy. Yeah, state so, varies state to state. Yeah, but like Florida, for example, you can get in very easily. Uh, in fact, I'm working with, uh, with a guy now uh, that uh, is really famous. I won't mention his name, uh, but he's, an, he's, he's been evacuated from prison. He's gone to prison for, for bilking uh, people out of $200 million, and he wants his book, and he wants a movie, so I'm working with him. I'm going to be signing a deal, but he, he's been evacuated. In the prison. Yeah, they did so that yesterday. You know, we were corresponding through the uh, prison uh, mail email system, and then we'll pick up on it, on that. But uh, I, I, I could have easy access to him. I, mean, I could visit him. Hey, do you know that in uh, Kansas, if you <laughs> went into this, you know, under the Freedom of Information Act, you want to get you know the police reports and the police documents, yeah. etc. And you have file for them. You get all the because it's you know public domain stuff because taxpayers pay for it. Yeah. But in Kansas. What you get is the cover sheet, and that's oh, right. it. If you want anything else, is up to the discretion of the law enforcement body how much they like you. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, so you got you to kiss her behind, right? Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Hey, Ron, I want I to... I yeah, you know, that's really interesting. Have you had... I, mean, I have to ask, when I'm on my show, I like to ask uh, journalists, have you had a lot of success with the Freedom of Information Act, getting uh, information from, from the government? Ha, 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 ha. It depends entirely. I know people who have tried to get information for years. That's me. <laughs> you would, who you would try to get information on? Well, what happened was, you know, the Cali Cartel, I put up very early, uh, in the early 90s, I think it was, when I decided uh, I was going to do, start doing a book, I put it in a request, and they, was, they said they'd get back to me. 
And uh, I eventually ended up doing the book, and about two years afterwards, one day, uh, a whole bunch of stuff ends up on my on my porch, and it's <laughs> stuff from the Cali Cartel. Ah, how convenient. we got to take a 60-second break, Ron, to let our local stations identify themselves because they're having an identity crisis. We'll be right back in 60 seconds on True Crime Uncensored. Smoking, drinking, interrupting obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device. And it's all free. Just go to your friendly app store and search for Outlaw Radio. Then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it. It's free. Listen free on the road, in your car, at the beach, or in your backyard. It's all free from Outlaw Radio. This is Buddy Twist saying goodnight from Hollywood. Hi, I am the legendary Burl Bear, taking time out of my busy schedule of watching myself on Deadly Sins, which I did last night. I look like a puffy old Jew. <laughs> what else is new? It was Lowell Caulfield and I as a twin spin. <laughs> Buy my latest book, Betrayal in Blue, True Story of the Cocaine Cops of the NYPD. Yeah, they weren't worried about being busted because they were the cops. They were also the biggest drug distribution gang in all of Brooklyn. Courts of the NYPD bust them? Hell no. We don't want a scandal. Let's let them keep doing it. Ken Urell and Michael Dowd, they went down in history, also in biology and anywhere else they could. But the point is, buy the book. I don't care if you're illiterate, merely owning the book cover bespeaks volumes of your erudition and good taste. Betrayal in Blue by Burl Bear, Frank Gerardo Jr., and the real honest-to-God Ken Urell is available from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Wild Blue Press. Back to True Crime Uncensored with Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. I've heard of him. And what's his name over in the corner? Mark C.G. Boyer. He's, he's sleeping. Oh, figures. Well, you do that occasionally when we have a fascinating guest. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. Over here in the corner. Ron Chepsick is our guest today. He's written uh, about 40 books, some of which I've actually read. Let's sell one of them right now. And 4,000 no, uh, articles. What? we got to sell a book for Ron. Okay, which book do you want us to sell, Ron? I, I'm the I'm the human human monkey at the typewriter. <laughs> yeah, the human monkey. That's the title of his next book. You know, the human I, I monkey. I, I, or at the computer now, I guess. Uh, I, I, I type enough on the computer, I get I get a book. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just start banging out words. That's what I do. Yeah. I got a page here that has all your book, has a lot of your book covers on it. Yeah. Well, the thing, the book I would probably was uh, I got three. Um, actually, four of them is an option for uh, for movies, and uh, a fifth one is uh, is on the way. But the one um, probably Black Caesar with uh, Frank Matthews. Oh, that's a great uh, story and a squeaky little voice. Yeah, and it's pretty close to something happening with it, so I'm pretty excited. But that's, you know, that's uh, either that or the uh, Sergeant Smack book because uh, both of them are, are going to be hitting the big screen eventually. The stories are just too too good. And, Frank uh, Matthews' story is really an incredible one. Although, you know, yeah. I, I, had to, I had the guy on the show, you know, the, I think you set it up. Uh, the guy who was trying to catch Frank Matthews and was just that much behind him when Matthews cleaned out that safe oh, deposit box. Yeah. 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 And oh, yeah. The Bill was a, a marshal, uh, one of the two marshals that spent 10 years of their life coming up with nothing. <laughs> <You know. laughs> That's rewarding. 
I've been no, doing really. that. I mean, I've, that's I've, I've, it to me. That's I've been doing that on this me. show. <laughs> yeah, he said I had boxes and boxes of stuff. We had none on the show. No, no fingerprints, right? Uh-huh. No photographs, and uh, yeah, no, no, no snitches, and uh, nothing. And uh, you know, when when Whitey Bozier was on the run, they had a picture of him in an ATM in Europe. At least they knew he was coming back to Boston. And he was dealing with people. But Frank, I mean, there's nothing. And, and uh, he disappeared off the face of the earth. Well, the you know, Piffy says he's pretty I sure that the Colombians uh, killed theory. him. Uh, well, you know, I set up a tantalizing theory about the CIA maybe had something to do with it. Now, I'm not a conspiracy nut. In fact, I laugh at most conspiracy theories. But uh, there is some, some, some evidence that uh, <laughs> the CIA uh, could have had something to since to do with uh, his disappearance. What's it? What's it? There was a rumor that he was uh, Frank was working for the CIA at one time. There's uh, as a conspiracy theory to what happened to Frank. What's your favorite uh, conspiracy theory? Pardon? Your favorite conspiracy theory that you know is complete crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but what? I think he's dead. I think he's dead. I I think he died a long, long time ago. You know, he had health problems. Uh, He was only 29 years old when he fled, which is amazing. Because uh, he was he was the biggest drug dealer in in the United States, um, I, I, I call him the the, the black Al Capone, because he was a really, really the first big big gangster. You know, he disappeared allegedly with twenty million dollars, um, uh, which can't be confirmed, but that's what the DA told me, and that's what the DA believes. And a beautiful woman, who wasn't his common law wife, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> you know, they disappeared off the face of the earth. We know he was alive for about maybe. For sure, about nine months, I think. About nine months. And then after that, uh, he, he sort of disappears. <laughs> and, he, and, and, he, and he's gone now. We haven't well, seen him since. Yeah, well, he had a heart problem, you know. Uh, he took cocaine. He was an early cocaine user, you know, in the early, <laughs> early yeah. 70s. And, so he's uh, gone now. And, uh, you know, one of the weird theories about him, which uh, uh, Mike would tell you, uh, Pivzi was, they had to go to Houston to see if he, if he, he went there to get a heart transplant. <coughs> One of his ex-girlfriends insisted that he had gone to Houston to get a heart transplant. Well, if, you, if you're going to get a heart transplant, uh, Houston actually, not now, but uh, in, its, in its day. Well, Houston's got a great medical system there. You know, they, some of the best hospitals in the world are... Well, Michael DeBakey uh, did the first heart transplant yeah, in exactly. Houston. Yeah, exactly. And so they went there, and they checked everything, and they never found anything. You know, at all. Can and, I, uh, can I, can I roll the conversation back to the cartel for a second? Sure. And, and those four guys that uh, ran it, and yeah. uh, we know the demise of two, and then the other two are in jail. But what happened to all the money? <laughs> well, you know, as part of a, a, a deal arrangement, uh, they they gave up money. They, um, uh, they they had a lot of their money in legitimate businesses, right? In, in Colombia, and there was a. a uh, a drug chain uh, like CVS uh, called uh, uh, Drogos de Baja, which was uh, cheap drugs, which was uh, uh, really a popular chain, and it was owned by Gilberto. And so when Gilberto went down and they convicted him and extradited him, all of those drugstores uh, were taken over. But they had all kinds of, uh, you know, they, they bought paintings like Salvador Dali, mm. you know, that, that, were, that were confiscated and the government took. Now, what the government did with it. I don't know. I know they gave some of the paintings, because uh, they had a pretty good art collection, uh, they gave them to the uh, local art galleries in, in Colombia. But there were all kinds of businesses, you know, because they needed to... Uh, Longer the money. Well, at the height of their, at the height of their um, 
at their power in the early 90s, uh, the Time magazine uh, reported uh, that they were making somewhere between five and seven million billion dollars a year. You know, in profit. So that money's so, got that money had to go someplace. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it had to go someplace, and you know, the international banking system, you know, facilitates it. You know, there's all kinds of places uh, in, in the world that are more than more than more than happy to to take the money. Uh, and I have in my book, if you read the book, I have a, a couple of chapters on money laundering and how they how they uh, laundered their money. It's, it's pretty complicated. Some of the some of the uh, information I provide, but it gives you a really good idea of how brilliant these people are. These so it's basically you got a how-to I mean, book. They're operating a multinational, really. They're operating uh, like like multinational, like like uh, uh, General Motors or General Electric or whatever. But it was just like exactly that way, and um, and uh, they had the brilliance that they could easily have have uh, uh, made the switch to legitimate business without any problem at all. And that's work if you can get it. They're yeah. still at five yeah. billion a year. That's yeah. more money than I can spend in a week. At five yeah. billion a year. Can you it's... spend that much money in a week? No. Well, Burl, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that good with money. Yeah, yeah I don't want to be rich because I don't want to be corrupted. I want to be pure as a driven snow like I am now. Yeah. Well, who drove through that snow? <laughs> that's what. That's why. By the way, that Ron. That's why we're the number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the number one comedy, comedy show trying to be a crime show. Remember yeah. that. Uh, okay. Hang on a second. We got more out of you than most people do, <laughs> and we did it, and you didn't feel it, and and you gave it no, up. No. Guys, we're almost, we're almost, time's almost up, and I, I can watch some football, right? That's exactly right. If you're a good boy, it's the fastest yeah. hour you've ever done. Yeah. It's the most fun hour you've ever done. It is well, the yeah, not not counting that girl in Colombia. You know I'll tell you what. There's probably three or four highlights in my life. This is one of them. <laughs> you know, you're a sarcastic bastard. Yeah. You know that? <laughs> Everything they say about you is true. Yeah. Hey, are he's a Fulbright scholar, you know. Are you two guys joined at the hip? I have a hard time talking. Yeah, yeah I know. Distinguishing well, between you. Well, it's because we both have tremendous radio voices. That's right. <laughs> yeah. If you if you That's really want to have fun, have us on as guests. We'll get nothing done. Bob, you want to have you want to have a, a yeah. I told you I wanted to be a, a, a crime show that could become a comedy show. Me, I'll get you guys on in January. All right. We'll have a we'll have a thing there, and you, and you can show me how to make it and turn it into a comedy show. <laughs> One thing we're not going to do is we're not going to come on your show and by any means try and help you to become number one because we're number one. <laughs> I've been on his show oh, several you know, times, although you know, it takes I mean, about 10 man, minutes to get man, on. Man can live by illusion alone, so I'll let you live by it. <laughs> oh, Ron. He's a great guy. I am. I am. You, you, you're, you're, you're lining up to get a smack from me. <laughs> He's got a, already got a book called that, uh, King Smack or something like that. Sergeant go. Smack, that's the name of it. Uh, yeah. That's going to be a movie. How many, yeah. seriously, you got like four that are going to be movies now? Well, hopefully, uh, I, I, if I was a betting man, I would say three of the four for sure. Um, fourth one, maybe. Uh, I, I can't get into details because the producer said to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, but keep your mouth shut. Has the option, you know, on that end, so. But uh, it, when, when, when something See, happens, I would never let you sign that non-disclosure. When, when something happens, I would most humbly want to be back on your show. 
Well, most humbly, we'll let you, maybe. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> sort of. We'll think about it. Because you're just a fair guest. <laughs> well, but I'll be really serious that next time because that's, that's Hollywood. You know, I mean, we're talking about Hollywood then. I, you have to be really serious about that. Yeah, I'm serious about it every day of the week. A lot of steak. <laughs> that's what I do with the, that's what I do at my day job. But Boy, uh, I'll tell you it's hard to get through to him too. Boy, I'll tell you he's got a he's got an army of bodyguards and uh, gatekeepers. You don't get through to me. Ah, uh, you don't get through. I, I, this is the best you uh, can bro, do. I'm going to give a plug for you. Well, you got a m- movie in the works, right? Uh, we'll find out this month. Uh, some of what Sony's decision is here. So, uh, don't don't I have a piece of that? You get a piece of everything, Howard. Thank you. So uh, yeah. we'll we'll know, we'll know hopefully his, by the end of this uh, month. Manager, right? Yeah, he manages me so beautifully. It's just how uh, long you been together? Oh, I joined at the hip like this. I don't know, a few years. A few years, wow. You can see what he's done for my career. He, well, you're my favorite <laughs> client. I never have to call you back. <laughs> That's right. He never does. He knows he's going to see me Saturday, so he doesn't call me back. I don't call him back. <laughs> yeah. Why call him when I'm going to see him? No, the truth is, is I moved my office this week, so we were we were under. Uh, under the moving gun, if you've ever moved an office, it's no fun. And they made me throw away 51% of my stuff. <gasps> no. 51%? Yeah. 51%? Yeah, not 50, mind you, not, not 50, 49. 51. Uh, and, uh, I looked at some of it, it was bank statements from 1989, so I said, you know what, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you don't need it now. It brings well, back happy I, memories. I, but... I don't even know why I'm talking about that on the show. But but that's why you can't get through to me. We were moving. It, it, and, but otherwise, I'm very accessible. Yeah, he is. They go, hi. I go, hi, this is Howard. They go, who's this? They say, I'm the legendary Burl Bear. Oh, well, I'm sure he's on another line. <laughs> He'll see you Saturday. Well, why, don't you, why don't you get your name changed officially? Call yourself legendary. Yeah, I thought of that. There's a dentist in Portland, Oregon, used to advertise that he was the painless dentist, and they said, no, you can't say that, so he changed his name legally to Dr. Painless. That's what you do. I did that with, <laughs> I was going right. to do that with Bernard Hopkins. when I, I was handling Bernard Hopkins, the uh, fighter, and yeah. they would not let him... Um, he, he, we had some business with goldennugget.com, and they would not let him uh, wear... That mask? The, well, or anything that said Golden Nugget on it. So what I suggested that he do is go to the city hall in Vegas and legally change his name to GoldenNugget.com. And they <laughs> had to use it. They had to use it during the fight. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> idea. True. I had to think he didn't do it. True story. Yeah. He he they thought called him the executioner. He That's was the great. he was. I mean, I, to, oh, that, what a great name, eh? I oh. would think he'd be called the executioner, bro. To yeah, sit in a room with that guy, by the way, was bone-chilling. It really was. I mean, yeah. he was one of the great fighters of all time. He's still yeah. probably going to the ring and do well. He was also one of the best shape guys of all time. He was in great friggin' shape. I mean, he lived, a, he lived a, a Spartan life to, to, to last that long in the ring, right? He did. He would come into my office with about nine or ten guys. Any room for you in there? No. No. You had to leave the room. I don't even know what they, they did, but uh, I, I, yeah. everything went Bernard's way. Bernard's way. You don't have him anymore? I think I think that's a signal. I think our show is over. Our show is over. We're just getting started. <laughs>
Hey, hey, Ron, we'll, we'll be on your show in January. We'll have you back. Uh, I'll try to turn your show into a crime show. We'll, we'll do that. <laughs> we'll work on it. I think we'll work on it. And then you come to my show and turn my into a comedy show. There you go. All right, fair enough. Ron okay. Chepsick, brilliant author. And a lot of and a lot of fun, and we will have you back. Thank Here's the first name for you, brilliant, eh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks, Ron. Right. Talk okay, to you soon. Thank you, guys. I, All right. I, I Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hey, uh, Burl. Yeah. What's next? Magic Man Allen, the Demons of Decadence, live in the Light Up Lounge on OutlawRadioLive.com.